Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right, everybody, be humble, sit down. This is the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Podcast. I'm Dr. Bobby Maybe, and I'm here with an esteemed guest. I am, I am honored. I'm beyond honored. Dude, uh, Howie, How- Howard Fiddler, DC, chiropractor extraordinaire, a sports chiropractor extraordinaire. I met you once, a couple times, NCLC. I was a student. You were a young grad at that point, I think. And I think you were attempting to take on and uh, lead the chiropractic profession as a whole. You were ready to take on the ACA and be the greatest chiropractor that ever lived. How's that working out for you? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's amazing. Just like in, in anything else, uh, how uh, politics uh, play a role and how, how, how things can uh, can ebb and uh, sway back and forth. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all good. You know, I mean, 20, 21 years into the profession. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've done a lot. You know, everything from uh, alternate delegate to delegate to, you know, PAC vice chairman to Nick Laff chairman. You know, I was on my uh, board of examiners for almost 12 years. I was the youngest appointee in, you know, the modern modern time. I was not even seven years in when Governor Pawlenty put me on the board. So, and, uh, you know, now just, uh, you know, things things change. You know, I just came off the, the ACA pack after 16 years of doing that, but still doing a lot of political work, you know, for the profession and uh, just taking it as it goes now. Are you tired? Are you still fired up? Um, Oh, I'm still fired up. You know, everything's, you know, I don't think I'll ever lose, lose the fire for it. It's just uh, time to uh, put my, my efforts and my, my energy in other places. Um, where do you think, and you would be probably one of the best people to ask of anybody, what do you, cause your fingers on the pulse of, of a lot of things, where, what do you think is the state of the profession at this point? Where's it going? What's it doing? What are the outlooks? You know, don't, um, don't say I think there's never been a greater time to be a chiropractor. Don't say no, that. I wasn't going to, <laughs> I, I, I think we're, I think we're at a real critical point right now. Um, a, a serious, serious critical point in, in the profession. Um, you know, we're, we're teetering right now on if it can happen, if we can get it done, um, a bill that will will change how I think all of us practice and all of us do things, whether, whether you're cash based, insurance based, it won't matter. Um, you know, if we get full inclusion and full scope, uh, in Medicare, um, we, we know, you know, for the guys that practice in the insurance industry, these companies like to mimic Medicare as much as they can. Well, if all of a sudden we're getting full scope and equal reimbursement, you know, under Medicare, things are going to change. Um, it's going to change a lot. Um, but you know, um, so it's a real teetering point. I mean, it, it, from, you know, where, where I'm at, uh, on the, the sports side of things, um, it's, it's continuing to grow. Um, we, you know, more and more teams and athletes are, are using us and, 
it's uh, it's it's a great place to be. But it's uh, like I said, it's a real it's a real interesting thing when it comes down to nationally, you know, where we're at, and uh, it's I I think it can get done. Um, you know, thank goodness our numbers are looking better under Medicare as far as the error rate and things like that. Um, and if we, you know, even, even CMS is saying it. So if we can get that across to the right legislators and get the right, right person to, to drop the bill on the hopper with the proper backing, um, you know, I think the, the professional change massively. So that's, uh, you know, that's where we're at right now. For, for such a thing and such a bill that would have such a massive impact on the profession as a whole you would think, and of course I'm being facetious here, that people would be chomping at the bit to support uh, the movement and support the ACA specifically and give you whatever you guys needed to help make this happen. Um, But they're not. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean. That could shake people loose and say, hello. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is like I said, almost 16 years on on the pack. It it drove me nuts because I used to sit there and go, "Look, you know, if we have, you know, I'm going to use low numbers, five thousand general members. If everybody just at a minimum donated ten dollars a month, fifty thousand dollars a month to the pack, that's six hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, what we've accomplished." With on average a third of that, so you know maybe forty percent of that is amazing, and that just that just goes to show you what you know people like John Filardo, um, you know at the ACA, and and you know Rick Miller when he was there, and, and others can accomplish. You know Jack Dursick, who's you know one of our, our main lobbyists out there. Um, you know, but come on, $10 a freaking month. If you know, it, it's so stupid. And, you know, I got students that do that, you know, right. and I used to, I did it as a student, you know, I, I was the first, student, yeah. I, right. I mean, I'm the only, if you look at the, at the first, and it's, you know, at ACA, you know, offices, the first list of all chairman's members, there's only one non DC on that list. And that's me. Cause I was a student at the time. And, you know, at, at that NCLC, when I was, you know, national chair or national uh, lead chair, I should say, you know, we raised, I think, was something. And, and this was back when NCLC for students was small. I think we had 80 students there and that was huge. Um, you know, we, we bucked up the students and donated like close to two thousand dollars to the pack. And I'll never forget it. Jim Andrews, you know, James Andrews gets up on the stage because he was the pack chairman. And he looks out at about four hundred thousand DCs and goes, you all should be fucking ashamed of yourselves you know these students just took money that they don't even have out of their pockets and just donated this much he goes and you guys can't give me money i mean he just shamed the hell out of people it was great <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately so, that's what it's kind of it's coming to that again you know we, we need to take action now from your standpoint yep, um with aca and its new move towards a newer perspective a newer policy or a newer stance whatever the way you want to look at it uh, how has that worked out for the ACA so far? It's hard to say. I think it's still early. Um, there's been, for lack of a better way of saying it, I think there's been some backlash, some major backlash. Um, you know, um, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, I, I, I've gotten into it with, with some 
other ACA members, uh, some, you know, people that are still sitting in the House of Delegates, and they're like, oh, well, we've grown. I said, no, we haven't. No, no, this, this hasn't grown membership that much. So don't even go there with me. When I joined the ACA, we had, we had over 10,000 plus members, general members. I said, we, we've got like five right now. I said, this has not been a big, a big push. Um, so I don't know where it's going to go. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's lots of things that have changed. I, I'll be the first one to say that I was very against some of the, uh, the changes that were made. I do not like what went on with getting rid of the council of delegates. I don't like that the sitting house does not get to nominate the, uh, the, the chairs and, and things like that. Um, yeah. I don't like going down to fewer members of the, of the BOG the way they've done it. Um, you know, there, were, there was something to be said about the power that sat in the Council of Delegates. And I'll never forget, and I sat in the House at the time, I was, you know, the, the delegate when, when Dr. Glenn Manso, who, by the way, the only DCPT ever to be the president of the ACA. Yes, a physical therapist was the president of the ACA, guys. Um, <laughs> He sat, you know, he sat in, in the, the council, you know, when he was about to move up to be vice president of the house. And you know, he said, you know, it's, he goes, it, he goes, this is the happiest and the saddest day of my life. He goes, cause I'm leaving the most powerful group of the ACA. Cause the council of delegates had all the power, you know, not the board, not the house, the council, because if the council was unanimous on something, we held all the power. You know, we could outvote anybody, anytime, anyway. And heck, I mean, there was some issues back in the day, uh, you know, where I was battling some some things with some people in the, the Council of Nutrition because I didn't like where they were going with things and what they had done with some of the board stuff. And uh, and I'll never forget it. I mean, I'm sitting I'm sitting there I'm actually with, with J. Michael Flynn at the time, you know, former chairman of the board, and um, the then... Uh, president of the nutrition council you know we're going into the house of delegates the next day we'd already had the council meeting and you know she came by and, and made a snide remark to me about a, a you know something that they were pushing and i said i looked at her I said you ain't got the votes and she goes we have the majority of the votes and i said i looked at her i said two words for you dear power vote I said i got the votes I said, because I had California, Texas, New York, Ohio, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Florida, all against what she was doing. I said, I, I said, I don't need the majority vote. You know, basically, I said, I was Donald Trump at the time. I don't need the majority. I got the freaking delegate vote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and guess what? We didn't have the majority vote, but we had the power vote. And that's all that mattered, you know, and, and losing that just, you know, it, it it's just not, you know, I mean. But again, it's something I was I was against. But guess what? I you know I only had a say so as a member. Uh, I don't sit in there. I didn't have a vote on it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I'm uh, I'm still in a, a holding pattern and a wait and see. You know, I hope it it works out. I hope it does grow um, because without the ACA, we're done. I mean, there's there's nothing left uh, as far as power in Washington. We're the only lobby there is. We're the only pack there is. But um, We'll see where it goes over the next uh, year or two. What, um, what, I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere, somehow, some way in the ACA talks about what, what can we do to get new members? What do you think is a way or a direction that the ACA can go to entice people to become members of the chiropractic organization? 
I, I, again, I really think right now everything is hinging on this Medicare bill. It's the biggest thing that can happen in, in my career, in your career, in the last 50 years. Um, you know, too many people out there right now are sitting, you know, when we say, hey, join it, they go, well, what's, you know, and, and, and you can go back and forth and say, you know, when people are like, well, what are they going to do for me? And you right. go, well, we're working on this. Well, you know, and, and it, it always comes down to I'll join when you show me results. And I go, well, you understand, we need your money to be able to get these results. Right. So, it, you know, it goes back and forth. But again, I step back to the, the general membership that's out there right now. If y'all would just donate $10 a month, <laughs> membership would grow leaps and bounds. Why? Because I can tell you right now what, what you can do with a $600,000, $1.2 million per cycle pack. Um, it, we'd be unstoppable in Washington if we had that kind of money to spend. Yep. You just got to do it. I mean, yeah. It's that it's simple. Gotta be, it's got to be unconscious. And, and I don't you know, know how, but, how you tap that tap into that brain piece where you say, Membership has got to be unconscious. Yeah, and but I'll say the same thing that I've said for for years as well. Okay, leadership has to step up first because right now there are members of the board of governors of the ACA that are barely giving anything to the pack, and and you know it it's it, it, that's sorry. How, how do you ask if you're a delegate? How do you ask a member to do something you're not doing? And why should they? I don't, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I, I always led by example. You know, I was, like I said, I was the you know, first, first student, you know, member of the chairman's club. I was the first student silver star member of the chairman's club. As soon as I graduated within a year, I was a gold member of the chairman's club. Why? Because if I was going to turn around and ask the people in Minnesota to give, I better have been doing it. And when leadership's, when leadership's not doing it, hard to you know it's hard to justify and 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 one of my things i said look person this is you know my personal opinion i think if you're a member of the house delegates of of the aca you should be at a minimum of 35 dollars a month the lowest level of the chairman's club and that's a minimum if you're sitting on the board at a minimum you should have to be at 50 a month which is the second level if you are on the executive committee or the president or anything like that you should be at a minimum of 100, and that should be a requirement. No questions asked. You want this position, this is what you must be willing to do. And if you're not willing to do it, then you shouldn't be in leadership. Because again, how do you ask your members to do something you're not doing? And you're literally, you're talking about anywhere from a dollar to $4 a day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Literally, a dollar to $4 a day is what you're asking. I, I always said it this way. You know, when... When, you know, when I gave $50 a month, it was my first adjustment of the month. You know, that, or that, that paid my, actually that paid my monthly dues. My next one paid my pack. Everything else now we're now games on, you know, it's not that hard guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, when, if you're, if you're five years in practice and you can't afford that time to relook at, at priorities and where you're spending your money. Yeah. Um, we could probably talk about that stuff all day long. Let's talk about absolutely. Sports. Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about all these crazy ass teams that you are, and all these crazy ass athletes that you are a chiropractor for. Um, I couldn't even. How how did you end up? How how do these people know you? You know, it it, it 
I, you know, when I, when I do my lecture on sports and I, I teach, you know, other things, that, that's one of the first things the students always say is, how do I, how do I get to, you know, to do this? And, and I always tell them the, the same thing. You know, when I was a T1 student, I latched on to Dr. Bill Tuttle at, at Cleveland Chiropractic College in Kansas City, who at the time was, you know, working, you know, he's one of the guys that treated a lot of the chiefs. Um, he was the uh, medical director for USA Fencing. He was, you know, with a, a basketball team, all these things. And while everybody was screwing around on Friday afternoons, I was with Dr. Tuttle all right, constantly. On weekends, I was with Tuttle. And I did that. And by the time I, you know, by the time I graduated from chiropractic college, I had worked at two World Cups of fencing. I had treated a whole bunch of, of the Kansas City Chiefs. I had, I was the first student who had credentials through USA fencing uh, to treat in an Olympic Games. I tell you, know, I was at, 90, at the 96 Games in Atlanta. Um, I was fortunate enough that one of my dear friends, who also happened to be my patient uh, and my classmate, you know, was Dr. Peter Cox. And Peter, you know, turned to Dr. Tuttle and said, hey, I want Howie to come down to the Olympics. Well, you know, Dr. Tuttle was the medical director. He said, well, and we'll just add him to the medical staff as a student. And that became a fight. Oh, my God. USOC <laughs> went freaking ballistic. They're like, he's not, he can't, he's not, you know, licensed. Da, da, da. And, you know, Dr. Tuttle's like, look, he's my intern. He's my student. You know, he's practicing under my license. It's no different than if a medical student's here with, you know, uh, and, you know, somebody else. You know, he's going to be under my supervision just as if he was back in Kansas City. And they tried to fight it tooth and nail. And, you know, I mean, I was just devastated, you know, when, when they were with doing that. And, you know, I called Dr. Hyde and Dr. Minokian, who at the time, you know, ran the sports councils. And I said, you know, what do I do? And Dr. Hyde said, did Dr. Tuttle approve you? I said, yeah. He said, can you go? Get on that he plane. Goes, <laughs> he said, he goes, you let him fight your battle. It's not your battle. It's his battle. He's the medical director. And I went and, you know, did it. And, you know, that was that, you know, there was no problems. Um, so, you know, when I graduated and I, I, you know, came up to Minnesota and joined my wife and my brother-in-law back then in practice, you know, I already had a sports resume that some guys won't have 20, 30 years into practice, you know, of people I had treated. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I started working with some, some athletes up here and, uh, it just, you know, it slowly steamrolled. And, you know, one day I get a, a phone call from a gentleman asking me if I want to come work with a, a women's, you know, hockey team that was starting up here in Minnesota. And, you know, I was like, you know, sure, you know, came out, you know, next thing I know, there's six members of the United States Olympic women's hockey team on this team, you know, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years, you know, after I was working on the team, I treated over 20 members of the U.S. team in, in addition to members from, you know, uh, Germany, Canada, um, you know, and, and, and other teams. So it just, you know, slowly that, that just steamrolled, uh, you know, if, if we're going to talk, you know, on the MMA side, you know, early on in my career, uh, Kelly Cobalt was was my first real up and coming MMA fighter that I worked with. And, um, funny how things come full circle because she came out of retirement. She's fighting again now. So I'm working with her again, but <laughs> you know, I worked with Kelly for a while and a few other local fighters. He did make it to, you know, the semi big stage, you know, Kelly fought Gina Carano for the world title, uh, back in the day. And, um, you know, that I, when, when she stepped back and some of the others did in their coach, 
you know, Mike Riley wasn't doing it anymore. You know, I stepped out of the MMA world for a while and was doing more, you know, on the NFL, NHL, you know, levels and working with individual athletes. And then, uh, at, you know, I got uh, uh, contacted on, on Facebook by, uh, by somebody out of California who was a matchmaker. And, um, you know, she had a fighter that was fighting uh, out of St. Louis, uh, going to be fighting for, for the Invicta Fighting Championships in Kansas City. And she said, hey, you know, I really like to talk to you about potentially working with this fighter. And I said, I'd love to. Um, you know, I went down and uh, worked with, uh, with Ashley Cummings at that fight. Well, that same night, uh, a, a very young uh, Lauren Taylor at the time, we, most people know her now by Lauren Murphy, right. um, was there. And Lauren hurt her neck. Uh, in her fight. Um, she won it, but she had gotten caught in a guillotine and got it wrenched pretty bad. And I'm walking back after the fight and, you know, I saw her and she, you know, man, she said, Hey, great, great fight, Lauren. And she goes, doc, can you come here for a minute? I said, sure. So what's up? She goes, I can't move my neck. The guillotine really did a job on it. She goes, you know, my, my manager wants me to go to the hospital and I can talk about this now because it's, her documentary, everybody, you know, knows Lauren's background now. She goes, I don't, I can't go to the hospital. They're going to want to give me drugs. She goes, Doc, I'm a recovering drug addict. Um, and I, you know, they, I can't take anything. Um, and she goes, do you think you can do something? And I was like, well, you know, I've turned all my, my stuff in. Well, her then boyfriend, now husband, Jim Joe literally hands me his credential badge and he goes, just go to the back and do what you got to do. So, you know, 40 minutes later after, you know, some acupuncture, a bunch of soft tissue work, you know, some, some real gentle, you know, adjusting, you know, took her pain levels down from, you know, seven, eight, way down, you know, restored almost all her motion. And Monday morning she goes on Facebook and, you know, writes up this huge thank you to me. And that was it in the MMA world. Uh, the, the floodgates opened. I started getting contacted by fighters and managers. And, you know, we heard what you did for Lauren and, you know, about some of the stuff you're doing. And Ashley's talking about you. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, over 50 plus uh, professional MMA fighters later, you know, seven, eight world champions um, still going strong with it, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's fun, you know, when you get to work with some of these young fighters when they're up and comers and, and get to see them become world champions or multi-time world champions. You know, Andrea Lee is a great, great example, you know, former, uh, you know, legacy champion now, you know, the LFA champion and, um, mark my word, she will be the UFC, uh, flyweight champion. That girl will have the 125 pound weight, big weight class around her. Her, her her waist uh sooner rather than later if it no, doesn't happen in, sure. in if it doesn't happen in 2018 it'll happen in 2019 for sure because um you know when she's cleared to fight again in may heaven help that division because that kid is is beyond a triple threat and she's the most humble thing in the world too that's why i love working with her um but uh you know you know and like i said you know things have gone on that's how i wound up you know with some of the the hockey players from the, the white caps that, you know, now play on the, the U S national bandy team, how I wound up with the bandy team. You know, it's, it's one of those things I tell, you know, J Michael Flynn told me long ago, he, you know, he, he looked, you know, he said to me, he goes, how he goes, just, just remember this. He goes, if you take care of your patients, they'll take care of you. And, and, and no truer words can be said, you know, and, and that's especially in the sports world, you know, you take, you take care of your athletes, they will take care of you. But there's one thing I can say is if, if you're going to work with high-end athletes, you got to be ready to get on a plane at any time. 
Um, and literally, I don't care how busy your freaking schedule is. You better get on that plane. And, you know, one, you know, it, one of the stories I, I tell people is, you know, it was a Friday morning. Uh, I used to, when, I, when we had the clinic, I'd work from 7.30 to 1. 8 a.m., my phone rang. And normally I won't answer my phone, but I looked down with a patient and said, I'm sorry, I've got to take this call. Picked up the phone and said, what's up? Because I need you in New York. I said, all right, no problem. I said, you know, work until 1. I can be out of here at noon. I can, you know, be on the 1.30 flight. He goes, yeah, we're wheels up to Oakland at, at, at 5, Doc. He goes, I already booked you on the 10 a.m. flight. I was like, dude, I got a back schedule. And he goes, yeah, I get it. But, you know, if you're not on the 10 a.m. flight, I, um, you know, we'll be gone by the time you can get here. I said, all right. You know, yep. hung up, finished with my patient, walked out to my office manager, said, move everybody over to, to Holly, my associate at the time. Anybody that doesn't want to see her, tell them we'll see them tomorrow morning, you know, on me, not to worry about it. She says, well, where are you going? I can't tell you. Well, who are you going to see? I, said, I can't tell you. I've got an NDA with this athlete, you know, um, but I got to go. And she goes, some of these people are going to be real upset. I said, yeah, I get that. I said, when they write a check, the size of the check, the guy that I'm going to see writes, they can be upset, but I got to go. Um, you know, got on the flight, flew to New York. When I landed, he was on the doubt. He was listed as doubtful on the NFL's, you know, injury list. 45 minutes, I had him off the injury list, fully functional, fully moving, not an issue. He only looked at me and he goes, uh, you know, gave me my normal, you know, travel fee and everything. And he goes, Doc, how much did you lose today? And I went, a bunch. He goes, no, give me a number. So I wrote down on a piece of paper and handed it to him, wrote me another check and doubled it and said, thanks for getting on the plane. And and the thing is that I realized at that point that if I hadn't gotten on the plane, I, I would have been Jerry Maguire. I'd have lost not only him, but in the, the age of social media, one tweet from him, I lose every freaking NFL player I've ever worked with, you know, and God knows how many other people. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're going to do it, you got to be ready to do that. You know, if, if you're treating athletes, high-end athletes that don't live in the city you're in, your patients have to know from day one, look, there is a chance at any given time I can get a phone call and I have to get out of here, you know, and it's just the way it is. And, um, you know, my patients know that and, uh, you know, they're not upset. They, you know, they don't, they don't, they realize what it is. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a blast. I love working with athletes. It's, you know, I mean, when you, when you get to sit there and, you know, whether, whether I can talk about the athlete or can talk about the athlete, you know, when I get to sit there, you know, whether it's on TV or in the stands or anything else and know that I had a part of, of what they just did, you know, that, that's just the coolest thing in the world. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, as far as MMA pedigree goes, you're probably one of the, you, you are the only person who's got a higher pedigree than me that I know personally. Um, I mean, Aww. In, in the in the uh, in the in in student clinic myself, very similar story. Um, I I was latched on to Team Quest out here in Portland, Oregon. Yep. And um, and then my MMA treatment stuff sort of uh, expanded from there. And then I'm I'm originally from, and I practice in San Luis Obispo, California. So the guys from the pit were always friends of mine. And oh uh, yeah, there's nothing probably more satisfying than knowing that you've got someone who's pretty broken down in your hands uh, the day before. And then you sit in the stands and watch them fight and just, uh, beat the, beat the crap out of somebody without showing any, absolutely. Sign, any sign whatsoever that they were ever failing the day before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's definitely an amazing thing, you know, and you know, one of my, my 
you know, one of my Bellator fighters is, is, you know, right out there with you in, in Portland. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, her next fight and we are waiting for the official announcement, but, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty darn sure we're going to see Amanda Bell and, and Amber Liebrock, you know, fighting in Bellator as a number one contender fight, you know, and the winner gets, well, you know, get Julia Budd. Um, and, uh, you know, Amanda's transformed herself as a fighter and, you know, I've worked with her for a while and it, it's just, it, like you said, it, it's fun, you know, um, to, to, like you said, to sit there and, and watch that and know that 24 hours ago, they couldn't pull off that move. Right. You know, because of how they were. Um, so, yeah, I love it. And, you know, it, it's, you know, working with, with, you know, whether just martial artists in general, you know, whether it's, you know, jiu-jitsu or, or Muay Thai or, or, you know, MMA or whatever it is, you know, just it's it's such a taxing uh, sport. And, um, you know, but the thing I also tell people, you know, because they, they ask me about MMA especially, and I go, look, if you're going to work with MMA fighters, Go start rolling in jiu-jitsu because if you don't understand the biomechanics of the injury, right. you're, how are you going to fix it? You know, I said, you know, it's one of the things we talk about in, in, in car accidents. What's the most important thing to know? The mechanism of injury. You know, where, where the, the crash came from and how those forces translate. Well, you know, because I, I was talking to a guy. Cause I, I treat some MMA fighters. Like, Have you rolled jets or have you ever? <laughs> no. I said, okay. I said, so describe for me the biomechanical forces between a Camorra and an Americana. And I get deer in the headlights. I go, dude, don't touch an MMA fighter or a jujitsu right. competitor, please. I right. said, cause you have no idea how to fix them. It's Absolutely. not just shoulder pain. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh yeah. And I think most, yeah, totally. And, and that goes, I mean, shoot everyone wants to treat sports. Everyone wants to treat athletes, right? When they're a student. Right. If you can't, if it, I mean, I just talked to Kevin Christie and Kevin Christie DC. He, uh, he treats a lot of triathletes, but never ran a triathlon yep. in his life. I don't think you need to run triathlons, but you better no. know biomechanics. And if you want to, treat yeah, and, and, athletes, that doesn't mean you have to go and, and get a purple belt in jujitsu. No, it means you got to no. at least show up there for a couple months and have somebody lay on you and squeeze the piss and out of you just to understand. Exactly. What and feel what the forces feel like, you know, right. what is a, you know, what does a darse choke feel like compared to a rear naked choke compared to a guillotine? You know, I mean, they're different forces. So you just need to understand it, you know, and, and and you translate that even further, you know, to where I've niched things out, you know, in the world of extremities and, and why you need to know it and, you know, and understand it so well, you know, it then comes down to positional too. You know, I tell people all the time, you can't cookie cutter, you shouldn't cookie cutter treat anybody, but you can't cookie cutter treat athletes. And, you know, I could get two, two NFL players come in at the same time. One's an offensive lineman, one's a quarterback. Right. Their treatments are totally different. You know, because I could care less that the offensive lineman can externally rotate his throwing arm. And I could care less that the quarterback can come out of a three-point stance and explode forward. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. And, um, so. and I would imagine, I'm only making an assumption here, uh, that a lot of this does, isn't predicated on some sort of highfalutin uh, sports medicine technique that you had to get a whole bunch of certification on in order to care for athletes appropriately. Oh, God, no. Um, you know, 
Because that's the know, assumption. Not at that's all. what the kids have been sold, man. The kids have been sold yeah, that if you I know. get level three of A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z certification, then you're nothing for an athlete. Right. I mean, the only exception I'll make to that would say in the golf world. Um, yes. You know, you really, you, if you do want to work with golfers, and I do, um, you really should go through the TPI work. TPI, um, no. And, you know, you know, I mean, the, the stuff I've learned from Greg Rose, and, and the coolest thing is, I've been able to apply that to all the sports. You know, right. um, it's, it's been the coolest thing in the world. But that, that's one, if there is a, a certification within the sports world, that is the one that, that I hold in the highest regard um, because it's so specific. I mean, treating golfers is so specific. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's still probably one of the, uh, other than, than going through factor, um, the t- stuff I learned in TPI is probably the, the, had the biggest impact on my sports career, you know, at working with athletes. That's why I hold Greg Rose to such a high esteem, um, high enough oh. esteem that he's the keynote speaker at the Forward KC Conference. Oh, I'm, I'm so stoked. I mean, there's, there's very few sports guys that I look, I mean, truly, truly look up to, and Greg's one of them. And the coolest thing is he's the most humble guy in the world. Yep. I mean, he really is. Um, I mean, the, the only the only sports person I think that's had more impact in my career that's more humble than Greg is Tom Hyde. I mean, that man, you know, I, I thank him all the time. And he's like, Howie, I didn't do anything. You, you did all the work. <laughs> it's like, I was like, yeah, okay, Tom, um, you opened the freaking doors for me, brother. <laughs> you know, I mean, you took me out. I was in the 90s. There was a group of us that were known as Tom's kids. I was one of Tom's kids. Um, you know, that were ACA students that he took under his wing and, and ran with and, uh, you know, and, and took time and taught us and, and did other things. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I think having Greg as our keynote is going to be just off the freaking hook. I mean, it's it, for those that have never heard him or never seen him, you're, you're in for a freaking treat. And uh, that's going to be at Cleveland, Kansas City, and uh, June first through through first through third, and you're going to be there too. And you're putting on. I will be there. What are you going to talk about? I will. I you know we're gonna I'm going to be it, it's it's a short one. We only I think I've got maybe two hours, um, but I'm gonna you know it, it'll basically be a taste of my my functional extremity uh, course that I've, I've developed and that I'm getting ready to officially launch. Um, you know, I've, I've taught it at a couple of the, the schools to the students and, um, you know, and again, my, everything that I'm doing in there, literally all my ideas came because of Greg Rose, um, between TPI and, and SFMA. And I just had an aha moment, you know, one day and went, Oh my God, I'm, I'm making this way too complicated. And you know, what I, what I started getting sick and tired of, um, was, and, and again, I'll go back to the same term, the cookie cutter crap that I'm seeing taught out there. Yep. Um, especially when it comes to extremities, um, you can't cookie cutter guys. You need to be able to functionally assess it and then correct it, go back and reassess it. Because if you're just freaking doing, you know, extremity HEDO adjusting, and if you don't know what HEDO means, it means hit every damn one. And, um, you know, you don't know what you did. Did heck, did you make the athlete worse? You know, and I've told, you know, I, I've called people, trust me, I've gotten into it with, with 
some of the quote unquote extremity gurus, you know, just because they've been teaching the same shit for 30 years don't mean it's right, guys. That's right. Um, we've learned that through the years in medicine. You know, we, you have to evolve. Things evolve. We don't do, you know, somebody comes in with, with migraines, we don't drill a hole in their head anymore. That's By the what way, we used to do. That's why at Forward KC, we don't have any of those fucking people. There are no gurus that have been doing the circuit for years that are going to be at my events, like, ever. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean... Because I can't, I, I can't have I, that. I, I don't, I don't subscribe to any of that. I can't have it happen on something that I'm going to attach my name to. I want people to understand there's a new and better way to do this, but you got to use your noggin when you're doing it. Absolutely. And, you know, um, truly, you know, you look at the breakdown and shoot, that's tough to sit there and look at the tracks and go, damn, what track do I want to go to? <laughs> you know, do, 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 do I want to go listen, you know, to, to, Greg Freeman freaking light my ass up in documentation. And trust me, if you've never been around this man, you're going to get lit up boys <laughs> <laughs> and, and girls. Um, and, and if, if, um, you know, if, if uh, occasional uh, expletives are a problem for you, you might not want to be in his classroom because I can guarantee you um, <laughs> that, that there's, 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 gonna be some f-bombs come out of that mouth and out of that man's mouth um but you know what rightfully so and, and i don't think anybody and i don't think anybody's changed documentation for the better um than that man um you know uh as far as teaching it and making it simple that's what i love about him he makes it simple guys you just gotta listen to him you know yeah. stop overthinking it you know i mean personally he should be the guy. I, I think he should be going around to every school once a semester and teaching a one-day documentation course, and all, we wouldn't have documentation problems anymore. Maybe the story. Wink, wink. Maybe you know, you know it, it's the same thing I said, you know, when it comes down to extremities. Hey, I'll jump around to every school, you know, once a semester and, and, and teach a one-day extremity course, and you, these kids will come out and absolutely being able to own their extremity work. You know, and um, hey, Howie, here's a and then that's here's a thought for you. Uh, something that Greg Rose told me once, so you could put your mind to it. Um, for the SFMA, what Greg Rose has said is there's not a very competent way to assess the hands and the feet. He said if there was a way, or if somebody could come up with a, a very good functional assessment of the hands and the feet, they would he would make them a very rich person. Yeah, I guess I got my work cut out for me then. So there you go. <laughs> There's your summer task. There you go. Beautiful. Love it. And that's that, there's your connection, your way to work with Greg someday. Absolutely. Oh, again, I know Greg. Greg knows me. I mean, like I said, because I've gone through the training with him. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a damn good idea. So we'll, he and I will have to have a little chat uh, that weekend while I'm down there. <laughs> that's what I do. I'm a facilitator. I connect dots. I love it bingo um there's some there's some young chiropractors out here listening to this podcast there's probably some not so young ones too that can still hear the message um th three things three things that they could do right now to change uh the the profession or themselves their practice for the better three howie things three howie things um one stop making it about you because it isn't it's about your patients um, and it's about the, the public, uh, you know, that that's number one Two, uh, 
go volunteer somewhere, somehow, give back. Uh, you know, even if you're young, give back. Uh, you, it, it, seriously, I don't care who you, who or how you do it, but one day a month, go volunteer somewhere. I don't care if it's the food shelf, a soup kitchen, a Pop Warner football team, your high school, um, you know, give back, you know, it, it, stop taking and start giving. Um, it, it's amazing what will happen in your life if you do that. Uh, and I learned that, you know, really did. Um, you know, and, and, you know, lastly, God, what would the last thing be? Uh, I don't even know what number three should be at this point. Um, cause the first two are so important. You know, I would say, you know what, uh, be a part of something, you know, within the profession, whether it's, it's, you know, I don't care you know, which one it is for me, you know, now my, my focus has become the FTCA. Uh, it really has. I love where we're going. I love what we're doing. I love that there's no, uh, BS about it. Um, and, you know, and I think we're going to, I think what we're doing and what you're doing with it. And and I look at, you know, I was one of the original guys. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to change everything in the future. I really do. I agree. I agree. It just takes um, so, a concerted effort, which we're putting into it. That's it. Bingo. Um, man, you know, there, there are very few, I never sought out mentors when I was young. I think I probably came from more of a know-it-all angle, but I always yep. listened. I was always listening. And there were just a few names that when I, when I saw them and they presented something to me, I got it and I never forgot it. Thomas, Tom Hyde, I saw him once when I was a student. I got it. I got what he was laying down. Craig Liebenson, saw him once when I was a student, got what he was laying down. Stuart McGill's been a lifelong mentor of mine, whether he knows it or not, but he knows it. <laughs> um, and you, when I saw you at an Aww. NCLC and I saw your fire and I saw that look in your eyes that uh, we're going to do this and we're going to do it, whether people come with us kicking or screaming, we're going to get something done in this profession. I appreciate that because it didn't come from somebody who's sort of drinking the Kool-Aid, if you know what I mean. It came from someone who wanted to do it the right way and do it with ethics right. and with passion. And I think, um, I mean, I just hope that we can translate that passion doesn't die. It might change, but it doesn't die. And the passion is based on centered care, uh, patient-centered, ethical, best for the world, best for our community's care. Um, and that's why you're supremely valuable to me. Awesome. Well, that, that means the world to me, and it's very humbling. So thank you. I got a big hug for you when I see you in Kansas City, my friend. Can't wait, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. Will do. And uh, enjoy the rest of that cigar. <laughs> I will. Talk to you later, brother. Take it easy.